wait, wait, wait. You want these freaks? Take them all! Not all. Just some. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. And transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internets, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 blah. No, blah, blah, blah. Good evening and welcome to Two True Freaks. I'm Scott Gardner. In tonight's top story, the single largest manhunt ever in New York State history has been ended tonight with the arrest of 41-year-old Chris Honeywell of Rochester, who was sought since last April in the connection of the brutal slaying of 17,493 people with a spork outside his former place of employment. When asked by reporters why he did it, Honeywell said, quote, I don't like Mondays. Liberal New York State Supreme Court Justice Fenton Pussywillow told Honeywell at his arraignment that he should be, quote, really, really sorry for what he had done, to which Honeywell replied, quote, yeah, I guess. Judge Pussywillow ordered Honeywell to be slapped really, really hard on the wrist and be remanded to an all-expenses-paid three-week vacation in the Bahamas, where he remains at this hour after which he will serve 175,200 hours community service for the podcasting division of DeManzo Core Studios. In other news, police continue to be baffled by the rambling letter sent to this station by a man identifying himself only as Josh. It reads, What's happening? My name is Josh. I'm from Wisconsin. I'm 26 and have started listening to your show for about two months now and have plowed through every one of them. I dig that you have a schedule to your show. I've been making my way through different podcasts and haven't really seen anything like that. I'll listen to every show I can, even the Star Trek ones, though I'm not a fan. But you make it interesting, so thanks for that. I personally like all the stories about you guys growing up. The peppering of local law enforcement with eggs, the Yoda of your comic collecting, and fucking with MPs at your old stomping grounds. I don't know if you've heard this yet, but I do put your show on before I crash for the night. Not because you're boring or your voices are so melodic, it's just that it's familiar to me. Kind of like friends and me talking about our favorite things. And it's relaxing and funny as hell. And also, I believe lastly, I just finished listening to your top five film scores episodes at work. Oh yeah, getting paid while listening to a podcast. Booyah! I'd like to throw my favorite score and why it's my favorite. 
It's the score to the first Crow movie by Graham Revell. It has orchestral pieces that are pretty moving, electric guitar solos, and a creepy vibe that really sets the tone of the film. Parts of the score have been recycled in the first sequel, but not the other two. And one track, Pain and Retribution, has been used in the trailers for other movies, Armageddon and Van Helsing. It's my favorite because I can listen to every song over and over, thus I'm on my second copy of the CD. It can be listened to by itself and plays very well in the movie. Up until 2007, every time I listened to it, it would flood my mind with memories of my brother George, who I lost in 93. Now it does the same thing with my father, who I lost in April 07. It helps me during the hard times. But enough lamenting. Keep up the good work. Take care. Josh! Police say they take the letter seriously and will be launching a full-scale investigation just as soon as the Waffle House closes. In our final story, I recently had the opportunity to sit down and discuss DC Comics with narcoleptic comic book fan Will Sanchez, host of the Avengers Assemble podcast. This is how it went. I need to get caught up. That's my thing. I said, <laughs> went and fell behind again like I always do. See, this keeps happening to me. I keep, just keep falling further and further behind all the time. I need to get caught up. Yeah, I mean, that's happening to me with the, the DC stuff because as of late, I haven't been really thrilled with them, so... And plus, I I, I want to catch up on the Green Lantern stuff, which has been really good, from what I hear. What what uh, particular titles do you read right now? Uh, from, from just uh, DC so far. Yeah, from yeah, from the DC stuff. Um, well, I did read um Action Comics and Superman, but uh, I've since dropped Superman and Action once uh, uh Superman is wasn't featured on the book uh. But yeah, I've been reading those, uh, Batman, um, well, Morrison's Batman, uh, Dini's Detective, which I, I have a huge backlog. I haven't read since, wow, <laughs> some of the Hush, Hush storyline that was out there recently. But, oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Now, but, is that the original Hush, or the, or is this some sort of sequel follow-up thing? Yeah, it's like the sequel follow-up that, uh, Dini started while it was, it was like in the middle of, um, R.I.P., so it, Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, it was kind of eclipsed by the R.I.P. stuff. Now, did you read the first? Well, I don't know if it was the first, but I know it was. It was a subsequent Hush appearance after the original one that took place. I want to say it was in Legends of the Dark Knight or one of those books. Yeah, I. Uh, did, did you read that? Yeah, I think it was, it was something. Yeah, it was something like that. It was Batman. It had the. Gotham, I know it had the. I think. Maybe that was it. It had a it had a um, Joker story, and it. it was supposed to be like the definitive Joker story or something. I've heard a lot about it, and I had a chance to pick up the trade dirt cheap, and I, I passed on it. I, I now I kind of regret it. I wish I'd picked it up because I've heard a lot of good things about it. Oh really? I, I hear it's it's really bad actually. Oh really? Oh okay. Yeah. Well maybe maybe I haven't missed out on anything then. Yeah, and from what I read of the Batman uh, sequel follow-up that uh, Paul Dini is doing, it's, it doesn't really even factor in his from his past appearance in that Gotham Knights thing. So you could pretty much, um, I guess, just skip that whole thing. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I I guess I, I also read it. It wasn't that good, to be honest with you. It wasn't it wasn't great. <laughs> Not the best Batman I've read. No. I've been curious about the Dini stuff only because I really liked. Um, his take on Batman um, on the animated series. You know, he did some of the better episodes of the of the animated series. He's he was one of the chief writers, if if not the chief writer on that series. And 
you know, that, that to me is the definitive Batman of the last probably 20 years or so. You know, the, 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 my, my favorite version of Batman anyway was the animated series version. So I, I've been curious to check that out and see if it's, if it's more in line with that version and, and more the Batman, you know, that, that I really enjoy, but I, I just hadn't, hadn't really had a chance to run across any of it. I stopped collecting Batman myself, God, probably early 90s, I guess. It was right around the time of the second um, Burton Batman movie, you know, the Batman Returns. I just, after Batman got all popular with that first Burton movie, it just started to lose me. They they started to, to mutate the character, and it just became a character I just didn't really give a shit about anymore. <laughs> I gotcha. Was that the time the, the No Man's Land stuff was around? No, this was even earlier than that. This was uh, in the in the comics. I'm trying to remember where it, it was somewhere between the first and second Burton movies. But in the comics, the the last storyline I can remember reading completely, and then I was just like, okay, this is a good bailout point. It was uh, was about the time Bane uh, broke Batman, which was like Batman five. 500, I think it was. Oh, yeah. It was that storyline where, like, all the villains broke out of Gotham, which I remember thinking at the time, you know, everybody and their brother was talking that up, and, and it's like, oh, this is such a great revolutionary story. Well, shit, just a few, you know, years before that, they had done the same thing in the last uh, pre-crisis issue of, I think it was Detective Comics? It's the one that has a Bill Sienkiewicz cover on it, and it has an introduction by Stephen King. I think that's Detective 600, but I could be wrong. But anyway, it was this big story with all these different artists on it. It was it was a really good book. It was like a big, thick, special edition book, and it uh, and it was where all the villains broke out. Uh. And then they did this big, long, protracted story. It was like this multi-part thing with Batman, you know, where all the villains broke out, and then Bane ended up breaking his back at the end of it. And I just thought it sucked. I thought it was a, it was a poor retread of a story they'd already done a few years bo- before and done much better in a one-shot, you know? So, yeah. so yeah, I kind of... I just got kind of bored with it. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty big deal at the time, the whole Bane thing. Uh, I remember... Um, I don't know, if have you read the Batman Armageddon annual? No. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, you mean from the Armageddon 2001 or whatever it was? Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I so probably did. I can't remember what what happened in that one. It was a kind of a big what if of uh, if he stayed paralyzed or something. And uh, there's a big Ray Ghoul storyline as well. Um, I think he, like, he had these uh, cybernetic, uh, uh, like, stilts or something. Or some sort of, like, exoskeleton that lets them... That lets Bruce uh, operate after he falls from like some sort of a fall um, from one of the uh, like a big mountain, like a, a snowy mountain. After Talia and her and her goons uh, like chase him down, so he gets like I think he gets paralyzed or something, and he wears that exo suit. And then um, he's down for a certain amount of time, and then uh, Dick takes over the mantle, and then uh, he gets uh, while he's uh, Batman, he gets uh, shot. And he gets killed, and uh, then Batman comes back, and he takes care of uh, Talia and stuff. And uh, while he's wearing the cybernetic, you know, exosuit, and I think after that he, I think Talia dies or something. It, it's like a big, like, cool what if story. Um, but it, I'm not sure exactly when I was. I think it must have been like, huh, late '80s, maybe early '90s. 
you know what book it happened in? Yeah, I think it was the Detective Annual uh, Armageddon 2001. Oh, okay, because I'm looking at the cover right now to uh, to Detective Comics Annual 4, 1991. It was the Armageddon 2001 crossover, I, I, but I can't remember for the life of me what it would have been based on the cover, but it's a beautiful cover. Yeah, it has like a... Like a like like neon signs in the bottom. Yeah, 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 that's the yeah, yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, that's an gorgeous awesome cover. cover. Yeah, it's one of my first uh, Batman comics actually. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah, very... it says it's by uh, by uh, I guess you pronounce it Grindberg. Uh, Tom Grindberg. Tom, yeah, Tom Grindberg. He used to be, and this sounds mean to say used to be, but he used to be a great artist. But somewhere along the line, he mutated his style into something I really, really couldn't stand. If I'm thinking of the... Let me see. Let me do a quick look here. If I'm thinking of the right artist, because I remember him, he did... I want to say he did one of those um, of the demon books, like Bride of the Demon or Son of the Demon, or oh. one of those books, and I loved the art for that. But then years later, he came along, and he did a story... In Secret Defenders of all places. Oh yeah. And it was uh, it was a story. I, I've, I'm trying to pull this image up to make sure I'm thinking of the right guy because I'm gonna feel like a dope if I've got the wrong artist. But he did a story. If I'm thinking of the same guy, let me see here. Pull up, damn it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. If you if you have access to looking at the covers to Secret Defenders nine and ten, this was in 1993. And he started to mutate his style into something that was very, um, oh, who's the Hellboy guy? Mignola, Mike Mignola? Yeah, yeah. Into like a real, you know, like a pseudo Mike Mignola style, and it just doesn't work for him. I mean, Grindberg has a, had a great style. I mean, beautiful, to me it was very Neil Adams-esque. Yeah, exactly, I was about to say the same thing. Yeah, Especially and, and in the suddenly Batman he went... Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure. Let me see. Let me do a look, a search here for was it Son Son of the Bat? I can't remember. It was that one where, at the end of it, Taya had the baby, that I guess has since come back, and now he's. Yeah, Tom. Okay, it was Son of the Demon, not Son of the Bat. Son of the Demon uh. was the name, and I think he was the artist on that. If I remember correct, let me see if I can pull up the image here. That's the nice thing about having all my covers scanned in. I just pull these images up and it helps my memory. Yeah. I, oh, no, I got it wrong. It's Jerry Bingham was the artist oh. on that one. Nope, totally wrong guy. But still, he still was a great artist. Now, I wonder what Jerry Bingham's doing today. He was another great artist that uh, I don't hear a whole heck of a lot about anymore. Oh, was he a DC artist? I don't know if he was exclusively DC, but he was uh, he was one of those guys. I just remember his art from this from this book, this Son of the Demon book. This was the one where uh, it was basically it was a Ross Agul story, uh, but it, it was the one where I can't remember exactly what happened. It was kind of a rehash in a lot of ways of the earlier stuff that. Uh, I don't remember who the writer was, but Neil Adams had done the, the art for way back in Detective Comics, where basically Ra's al Ghul was established as a character. This was largely a rehash of that, but what was neat was at the end of it, um, somewhere in the course of the story, 
Talia revealed to Batman that she was pregnant with his child, but then over the course of the story convinced him that she had lost the baby. Mm. Well, at the end of it, we as the reader are clued into the fact that, no, the baby actually was born and was, I don't know, like given away or, or adopted by another family, something like that. But the baby survived at the end of the book, unbeknownst to Batman, but we as the reader knew it. Oh, yeah. And then, I haven't read it myself, but I'm, I'm led to believe that the whole thing with, uh, what's uh, Damien, I guess his name is, yep. it is that baby from that story. Yep, that's him. I, I'm assuming that's maybe uh, Danny O'Neill who did the Rachel Ghoul stuff? Could be. Could very likely be, yeah. But the, the, well, the writer on this book, The Son of the Demon, is Mike W. Barr, but I think you're right. As far as the original stuff, I think that was Denny O'Neill. Yeah, he's, he's a great uh, writer. He, I loved his um, stuff with the question. Yes. That's a great, great run right there. I think they're in volume three of that book so far. Of that I've been meaning to revisit that stuff to see if it holds up for me, because not long ago, um, the CGS guys did one of their Spotlight episodes, okay. or whatever they call it, their, their book of the month or whatever, on the first volume of the question. And really kind of dog well not so much dogged it they just didn't care for it you know they they didn't really praise it that i thought they'd read it and be like wow this is mind-blowing shit because mm-hmm. i read it as it came out as a kid you know i was what probably well i don't know i think this came out when i was in the air force or thereabouts so i was probably 18 19 years old and i thought it was revolutionary shit you know i mean i thought it was was stuff that you know i'd certainly never read before but, you know, of course, it's been now, you know, 20-some years since I've revisited any of that stuff and reread it. So I don't know if it would still floor me the way it used to. But, yeah, I always thought the question, the, the original series was fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, for, for me, uh, since I've, I'm kind of a pair of fresh eyes on that uh, question stuff, I, I actually, I kind of, I like the question from the cartoon, the, the great uh, Justice, Justice League uh, Unlimited cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then after that, um, I love for the question kind of expanded in the uh, 52 series that uh, Greg Rucka, Morrison, Wade, and uh, Jeff Johns, uh, they all, you know, co-wrote a kind of band style. And I really like Rucka's uh, depiction of the question, especially with Montoya. That was that was really great. And I really felt bad <clears throat> when um, he was killed off you know, due to, you know, cancer and stuff because he was smoking. Uh, I guess in between the time of 52 and whatever, whatever he started, um, so I was like, oh, I'm pretty interested in this character. This is a really cool uh, character. So I, you know, I was like, you know, you know what? Let me check the trades when they come out. And uh, when I started reading, I was like, wow, this is great stuff. It, it's very, still very, feels very 80s, but at the same mm-hmm. time, it's, it still feels fresh and, and really unique. Uh, I mean, the question's not like Dick Tracy-ish. I guess he has certain elements of that, but uh, it's it's very it's very noir-ish, I guess, kind of a. Mix of detective comics and uh, I'm not sure what else. I, let me see what else I can equate it to. Mm. I, I don't know. I guess I can't really. It's, it's just very unique in its own in its own thing. Plus, had you know Batman villains like Shiva and uh, what else was in there? Uh, Batman had a, a guest appearance in in that book, which is really cool. It was, it was a very cool use of him. It was kind of subtle, but uh, yeah, he did appear. Well, that. That book was very steeped in like the uh, the martial arts end of the of the DC universe. You know, a lot of the those martial arts characters and stuff were, were used on and off throughout. You know, the underlying story and the question. I got I kind of get a kick out of that. 
you know, not that I was ever a fan of any of those characters, but it was neat to kind of learn a little bit more about characters that were out of my genre, so to speak, you know, because I've always been pretty much a straight, you know, superhero guy. But, you know, the question took you, you know, into like the the dark underbelly of the the DC universe. That's kind of what I always liked about it. Exactly. And, yeah, I also remember that, too, the the cool... uh Martial arts training. He had. Uh, I forget who trained him. Was it uh, Richard Dragon? Richard Dragon. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome. He really like. It's kind of. Um, it's similar kind of to kind of Born Again in that regard. He kind of Daredevil Born Again and like he he gets uh, torn down and he kind of slowly uh, rebuilds himself. Right. Yeah. Which which has become kind of cliched now. So that might be one of the reasons why the CGS guys didn't didn't see so much in the story, but at the time, you know, that was kind of a, a new concept, or at least, you know, hadn't been done to death in comics yet, like it like it kind of has, you know, in subsequent years. So it's kind of that Watchmen syndrome, where now it doesn't seem maybe as revolutionary to somebody reading it for the first time today as somebody reading it for the first time, you know, in the 19-whatever, 80s, 90s, whenever yeah. uh, this came out. I'm trying to remember what, what year this started. I want to say it was like 80... 88, 87, 88, something like that, that 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 book started up. But uh, I don't know how far they are into it, but I remember issue 26 where he uh, he went up against the Riddler, of all people. That was a really fun issue because here you had the Riddler and the question, you know, two opposite ends of the same, you know, whatever, yeah. going at each other. And that was a really cool story. You know, they were kind of, you know, it was a battle of wits. And that was a really good story too. I always liked the question, and he's a great character. It's, I, I, I wonder. I mean, you know, naturally, DC couldn't see you know this many years into the future, way back, you know, in the early post-crisis um, days, you know, right around eighty-six, eighty-seven. But you know, it makes me wonder now, you know, if they had an inkling of, of how the, the original Charlton characters that they purchased, you know, like uh, like the Question and the Blue Beetle and those guys would, would eventually just kind of go to waste, if maybe they would have approved Alan Moore to go ahead and just use those characters rather than create whole new versions of them with the Watchmen. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. I mean, it's not like they're doing anything particularly, uh, you know, groundbreaking or even... They're not even using him to any really important capacity, like Captain Adam. He's, he's, he, I think, all he, the only use he got was in uh, Countdown when he turned into uh, Monarch again, which is pretty much a retread of Armageddon 2001. Right. But uh, well, that was the, to my understanding, that was the direction that uh, that Armageddon 2001 was originally supposed to go, and then they kind of pussied out at the last minute. Yeah. And made it. Uh, what's his name? It was a hawk. Hawk yeah. from Hawk and Dove. Yeah, that was just. Yeah. I, I did like what the way they used Monarch in fifty uh, no, countdown. Uh, that was pretty cool until a certain point when it, it kind of all went down south. Uh, right. But really, in countdown, and you know, it should have been its own little thing. It shouldn't have been tied to uh, Final Crisis in any any respects because that should have been his own thing. But uh, that was a, a, a good, well, you know. Um, aspect of Countdown that I liked, as far as I go. I mean, uh, it, it's Countdown as, as a whole was pretty much a disaster, but uh, it was kind of like watching a car wreck. That it's, it was so fascinating that uh, you can't help but but watch. <laughs> I actually kind of liked Countdown to a, to a point. I mean, 
you know, until it got to the to the last few issues and got much more involved with the with the whole death of the new gods thing, I was actually digging it. You know, there there were there were aspects and storylines and potential I thought there that were a lot more interesting to me. You know, just my my personal niche in in fandom than than uh, fifty two. There it was just it was pushing my own geek buttons a lot better than that series did. But yeah, I'll, I'll agree that. I think the problem, I wonder if everybody's major bitch with it really just comes down to the fact that it doesn't it doesn't match up between the end of that series and the beginning of Final Crisis. I wonder if the two of them meshed up, if people would be more forgiving about uh, about Countdown. You can kind of do that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can kind of do that, but you have to kind of play, like, continuity g- gymnastics. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Time. So, um, yeah, I mean, Countdown had a lot of cool ideas, a lot of cool ideas, uh, like the Robin... Turning to Red Robin, the whole um, uh, Jason Todd, uh, uh, you know, going into the alternate Earth where Batman is kind of uh, um, it's a little bit more, not, I'm not say evil, but more morally gray. And, right. Yeah, that was yeah. that was very cool, and you kind of see Jason like, wow, this guy is kind of you know on a far end of, of the spectrum. So maybe uh, you know, kind of puts himself in perspective. And I really liked uh, that we really got a lot more of Superboy Prime. And he was much more the anti-badass Superman in that one than we've seen him so far. I mean, he, he destroys a, 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 an Earth single-handedly in one issue, and I, I love that shit. You know, seeing, seeing this, this evil, you know, this evil Superman, plus he's, you know, because of where he comes from and everything, he's like pre-crisis Superman level. Oh, yeah. You know, he's that powerful a character, so he's even more powerful than our Superman. And seeing him just go totally berserk and, and wipe out a planet single-handedly, really just having a, a childish temper, cha- uh, temper tantrum, that that was just awesome. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, this character, for the first time, is showing his true potential of how scary he could, really could be. You know, and, and I got a kick out of that. Unfortunately, it, since then it hasn't really. Well, I was going to say it hasn't really gone anywhere, but it may. It may. I mean, he's the big baddie in uh, in uh, uh, Legion of Three Worlds, so there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, there's a little fight between him and Superman in that in that um, that miniseries. That was pretty cool. He kind of puts uh, Superman and you know kind of in his place. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's I, I'm fascinated by the direction that uh, Jeff Johns took all these um, Earth Two characters, especially uh, Superboy Prime, because um, mm-hmm. nobody really expected him to come back in, in such a such a form again. So that was that was pretty interesting. I I, I don't know, I, maybe in an alternate universe that that would have been much different. Like they kind of looked more like innocent characters, like you guys have mentioned in uh, one of your episodes that uh, they were kind of more like an isolated bubble of. Uh, Kind of more. No, I'm not sure innocent characters, but more. Um, I guess uh, they weren't. They're the they're good heroes, you know. Right. They weren't evil the way they are shown in Infinite Crisis. Such so, so as right. Yeah, it, it took me. It took me a lot to get over that, you know, to get used to that fact of them being brought back in. Or him, rather, being brought back in... Well, uh, I guess Alexander Luthor was the other one. Yeah. You know, being brought back and used, you know, as as an evil bad guy. But, you know, while I still haven't forgiven them for doing that with with Alexander Luthor, the thing with with, um, 
Superboy Prime really it that really does work for me. I, I, I think that's pretty cool. Because he does make you know, now that I'm used to the idea, I think he does make a pretty uh, a pretty awesome bad guy. He's a, he's a scary bad guy because he's totally off his rocker, you know. <laughs> yeah, you don't see that type of power level really um, thrown around as of late, especially the pre-crisis stuff. Although you you do see uh, Silver Age stuff being returned little by little, which is to my dismay. So. Yeah, me too. Me too. And it, and it makes me feel almost hypocritical to feel that way because, you know, that was the era I grew up. Uh, reading and, and, you know, I, I had a great fondness for it. But, you know, what's strange is at the same rate, you know, I, I guess maybe it was just because of the age I was or whatever. I, you know, when, when crisis happened, I, I wasn't sad to see the pre-crisis universe go away. I, I was actually excited by the potential of what was going to happen afterwards. And I was totally on board for that ride. You know, as I've said many times, you know, Crisis was my watchman. You know, it, it, it reaffirmed everything I loved about comics. It set comic, or at least DC anyway, you know, and I've always been a, a DC boy at heart more than Marvel. I mean, I love Marvel too, but DC's really my home universe, you right. know. But it set it in the, in the right direction for me, and I, I was totally on board. And so to see that that Silver Age stuff, you know, so many of the elements of that coming back, I, I've just I've got really really mixed feelings about that because I, I it's feeling more and more like I don't know like you just can't go back, you know? Yeah. It, it, so much of it's not working for me. Yeah, it's too much of a nostalgia trip. And uh, although Jeff Johns has been one of the few who've kind of made some of that work with uh, um, Superboy Prime, like we, like we mentioned. Uh, Having Hal come back and um, stuff like that, although I, I still don't really find Hal all that interesting. But uh, uh, what Johns is doing is interesting because he's taking stuff from the past and kind of mixing his own his own um, his own new ideas with it, with just, with the you know the colored lanterns and stuff like that, which is pretty interesting. But um, I would have to see how it all ends up with the Blackest Night. So. We'll see where that ends up, but that, yeah, I agree. Really, it's it's too much. Like you know, they're trying to go back in time and bring back all those Silver Age elements, which which were cool. I, I actually liked them. I would I would mind owning uh, collected editions of that stuff, which is looks pretty really fun. Um, but uh, you know, with modern stuff, you can't really keep going back to that well, uh, especially with with uh, what they're doing with Superman and Batman, where they keep uh, removing them from the equation to give it like kind of a reign of the Superman type of thing, which... Yeah. Right. Well, I, I can... I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is a hypocritical way to think, because I you know I wasn't on board with with Green Lantern before Johns came along, and I'm still not on board with Flash. I just really am just not that interested with the whole thing. But I can see where something like Green Lantern feels like he came aboard... And he fixed it. You know, whatever was going was going on with it. You know, he he picked it up, he dusted it off, he fixed whatever problems there were, and he set it on a course where it's doing much better now, and everybody's talking about it. Whereas Superman, I don't know, maybe I'm just more sensitive about it because I was already on board with Superman. I was already there, and I don't feel like there was anything wrong necessarily, or that it, that it needed fixing. 
so now that he comes in and, and works his his style of magic with that book, it's not working for me. But I don't know if that's just because I was already there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe if I'd already been on on board with Green Lantern, I'd feel the same way about Green Lantern. I'd be like, well, I liked it the way it was. So I don't I don't know. It's tough for me to tell because, like I say, I was I was already on board with the Superman stuff and and digging it just the way it was. So I, I don't know. But whatever it is he's doing now. I, I had to bail out. I just, I really was just not happy with it at all. It was going not just backwards, but it was also, it was going backwards, but at the same rate going forwards in a direction I just didn't care to, to be on board for, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> that whole ret- Retro's 50 thing just doesn't, doesn't work for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get you, man. Especially, um, as of late with the, uh, with the Legion stuff, which I actually liked. I liked the, the whole Legion uh, backstory being integrated back in. Although I know you have a right. fondness for the Burn um, Man of Steel stuff, which kind of ticks that out, right? It does, but I mean, that's that to me is the one, that's the one bright spot in all of this is that, you know, that it does seem like the uh, Legion is going to be reintegrated into... You know, not just the DC universe proper, but into Superman history, which that was the one mistake. And I don't know if you could lay it at Burns' feet necessarily, but somewhere, somebody's to blame for the Legion being stripped away from being connected to Superman and to Superboy post-crisis, you know, with the Burn era stuff. And I think that was a big mistake. And they tried to fix it very quickly. I mean, it was only just a few issues into to the new Burn Superman that the Legion appeared, and they tried to do that whole pocket dimension stuff and try to make everything fit. And it just, as awesome as that story was, it still just never worked. And they've spent, you know, the next 20 years, you know, doing little reboots or, or continuity tweaks or whatever, trying to fix it, trying to figure out who the hell are the Legion of Superheroes now that Superboy never existed? And so for that particular angle, I, I can see where Johns or whoever is going to, you know, going back and saying, look, we just need to fix this. We just need to connect the Legion back to Superboy or, you know, Superman as a young boy, whatever, and, and make it work the way it was intended to. Again, I can see that and I, I'm on board for that. That's cool. But it, it's the rest of the stuff. It's the, Bottle City coming back and Nightwing and Flamebird and all these 50s things that were awesome at the time, but now that it's, I mean, we're in the 21st century, so much of that stuff just comes off as, as Silver Age goofiness. Yeah. I, I, and it seems like they've worked so hard in the past, you know, 20 some years since the original crisis to distance themselves from that stuff and, and to prove that. You know, not only comics as a whole have grown up, but even some of the characters that were once perceived as strictly kitty characters like Batman and Superman and some of these other ones, that they've matured too. So now to suddenly step back into the Silver Age, so much, you know, so many Silver Age trappings, which are, I'm sorry to say, they are inherently silly, seems like an awfully odd direction to me. Yeah, it works to to varying degrees and successes. Uh, the Legion stuff, I, I really like. That's pretty cool. I, what's funny is that I actually just recently got into the Legion through the uh, the Legion of Superheroes cartoon, which is a great cartoon. Ah. 
Well, do you uh, do you listen to uh, Super Future Friends by any chance? No, I've actually heard uh, you guys plug that. Uh, you and Chris actually will just do uh, you, you you plug that on the Two True Freaks. Uh, I've been meaning I've been I've been meaning to check that out, but um, I don't know. I, I guess I have to just make some time for it. But I'm definitely planning on checking it out because I'm just recently getting into the Legion and I, I really like them as as a, as a concept and I like the all the other characters from that thing, but. Uh, well, they uh, they got into doing that show because they discovered the Legion the same way through the that animated series. And that animated series, by the way, was really good. It's a shame that it only lasted the, the two seasons. Uh, they were doing some great stuff, and it was very respectful of, of Legion history, and really, I thought, did an excellent job of, of highlighting so many characters because the Legion, I mean, shit, they're bigger than the X-Men, yeah. man. There are more an characters army. in the Legion than in the X-Men. I mean, yeah, it is. It's, it's literally like an army of characters. So I thought, you know, in two seasons, they did a nice job of spotlighting just how many different characters there are. Oh, yeah. But the, the girls that do that show, the Super Future Friends, um, they got into it through that cartoon. And uh, that show's a lot of fun. They're basically doing the Legion from, like, their first appearances in, in whatever it was, either Superboy or Adventure, I forget, and, and just kind of going in chronological order. And that show's a lot of fun. I know there's another Legion show that started up not long after them, but, you know, with all apologies to that show, I just I haven't had time to listen to it yet. But I understand that it's a very good show, too. I, yeah. One of these days I'll get around to that one. Yeah, and plus I love the opening intro from the cartoon. That, that just perfectly, you know, epitomizes the feel of, you know, the twi- what was it, the 31st century, 41st? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just I love the 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 soundtrack to to that opening uh cartoon. Mm-hmm. It's just perfect, you know. Yeah, I hope they put out some uh some sort of a CD or something for that eventually some with some music from that series. Yeah, and so yeah, like we were saying, I mean, the, it works to various you know degrees, the Silver Age stuff. Uh I I'm not big of a fan of the Flame Bird and Nightwing thing either. It's it's you know, it it was done ready why revisit it. Plus you have a Nightwing already. So, which you know, kind of got his legacy from that, you know, by asking Superman. You know, I think yeah, right. I got that from Superman, right? He's uh, yeah, in, in the pre crisis yeah, in the pre crisis continuity, yeah, he uh, he was inspired by Nightwing and Flamebird of Candor because they were basically the Batman and Robin of their city. And so when when Dick Grayson grew up and wanted to to adopt a new identity past Robin. Mm-hmm. He uh, he thought of Nightwing and, and took the name from from the Candorian Nightwing, which always made me wonder. Then in post crisis continuity, where did he get the name Nightwing? But I don't know if that was ever addressed or not. I, I didn't follow Nightwing too much, to be honest with you. Although I really, you know, I like the character and all. I just never really followed his solo book or anything like that. Oh, so do I. That's, that's pretty much the the guy that's pretty much progressed uh, from point A to point C or B. Uh, he's, he's really grown, uh, you know, one of the few characters, who, uh, along with probably Wally West and Peter Parker, from, you know, to a certain degree, uh, that you feel like they've actually evolved and, and grown with with you. Oh, oh, yeah. I would totally be on board with, uh, you know, I'm not a big proponent of the deaths of characters, especially long-time established characters that have, you know, a huge fan base and, and all that sort of thing and tons of history. But dealing with Dick Grayson getting older and, and, you know, there have been Robins past him and all that sort of thing, and now that Batman continuity is starting to get a little wonky because of that, I really would be totally cool with with Dick Grayson 
becoming Batman. Oh, me too. He has all the you know the right skills, the equipment. I, I plus I think they kind of uh, explored that right with uh, that um, storyline called Prodigal. Yeah, I, I kind of vaguely. I don't know that I ever read the whole thing. I remember reading one or two crossovers of that because if if I'm thinking of the same one, it crossed over into several different books. One of them being Robin, which I read in the early early issues of because it was being drawn by uh, Tom Grummet, and I've always liked Tom Grummet's oh, he's, stuff. He's, good. he's like a classical style artist. That yeah, yeah. he's, he's did, he also did work on uh, Thunderbolts uh, on Marvel side. Yes, yep, yep. He did that. He did uh, back after, well, during the reign of the Superman, he uh, was doing whichever title Superboy was ah. in. He was doing that. And then he eventually, Superboy spun off into his own title, and Grummet did a lot of issues of that. Oh, yeah, he's very, he he put, has, he's very, uh, what's the word, um, he puts out a lot of content. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What the hell is the word? I forgot. <laughs> Prolific. Yeah, I, I like Tom Grummet a lot. I, I don't know what he's up to uh, currently, but yeah, any anytime I come across him, usually even no matter what the what the book is, if I see his stuff, I'll pick it up just to, to you know look at the beautiful art. He's he's one of those artists that uh, you know there's there's certain artists that I like their stuff so much I, I don't even care necessarily what the book is or if I'm even interested in the characters. You know, I'll, I'll go on board just because I, I like their stuff, and he's one of them. Yeah, I was just, you know, I, I got to thinking about that not long ago, that, you know, nothing against Bruce Wayne or anything. You know, I, I love Bruce Wayne. I love the character of Batman and all that, and he's got such a rich history. You know, so it's not like I've got, like, a, you know, I've got it out for Bruce Wayne, and, you know, i got to see him die or anything right. like that. But at the same rate, you know, it, he he is almost replaceable in the aspect of, you know, there, there's very few other characters that, that share such a similar story or similar origin to him, you know, within his own universe, and, but but Dick Grayson's one of them. You know, he has basically the, the same thing, you know, with, with, you know, he witnessed the death of his parents and he wanted to avenge them and then he became, you know, a crime fighter off that whole thing. Plus... You know, the the fact that he's not quite as dark as Bruce, you know, and quite as, you know, darkly driven and all that could actually play to the strengths of that character, you know, as opposed to take away. Because I think the, the reason why so many people have always considered Batman irreplaceable was that nobody else would be driven the same way that Bruce Wayne was. You know, nobody else would have the same you know, determination in the mission and all that. But I, I think Dick does. He's just not as brooding about yeah. it, you know? He, he could represent kind of the uh, the fun Batman of the yesteryear, maybe um, the dashing, uh, you know, brave guy from the new Adams runs and stuff like that. Right. So. And that actually, that might play very well today, now, now that they're getting, you know, closer, to, you know, back to that, Silver Age lightheartedness that we were talking about earlier, you know, now might be the time to make such a change and, and make Batman, uh, you know, a lighter-hearted character, you know, by putting somebody like, you know, uh, Dick Grayson into that that role. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah, definitely. You know, 
I'm not really up on what's going on in the Bat Universe, but isn't there some storyline going on right now where where he's missing or presumed dead or something, and now there's going to be a war for his identity? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're going back to that well again. We're uh, going to the whole uh, Reign of the Superman type of story, which I, I've read the first issue. It's, called, it's Battle of the Cow, uh, and it shows um, a lot of uh, his supporting cast members and his, his the part of the Bat family, uh, you know, holding down the fort of Gotham while you know things go into chaos. Um, it was it's pretty it's surprisingly decent. Uh, Tony Daniel does the art and the um, and, and the story, and uh, I, I was expecting something far worse. It's it's not bad at all. Uh, and we see, I like, towards the end of the book, uh, maybe a few Batman um, coming up, you know, to see if they can take up the you know the mantle. Uh, one which seems very much like the Neil Adams one that we that we were talking about before, and one yeah uh-huh. one has like sort of like. Um, Almost kind of a Dark Knight Returns, uh, no, not Dark Knight Returns, uh, like a Dark Knight uh, armor-looking costume with with guns, which I, I looks like it's Jason Todd. So it looks like Tim Drake and Jason Todd are, are, are posing as Batman for now. Uh. But um, they've announced quite a few things. Also, they, they, uh, Morrison is going back to Batman with uh, Frank Quietly to do um, his uh, like a return of uh, like a Batman and Robin title. And uh, Judd Winnick is doing uh, another Batman book, which I, I think will it'll, it'll star the Batman with the guns. Um, uh, I think uh, Tony Daniels is also going to draw that one. And uh, they, they've, they've announced a host of Batman books. I, I'm personally not, not all that interested in them, except for uh, Morrison's and the one that uh, Greg Rucker is going to do, do, which is the Batwoman one, the much-awaited Batman book, uh, or Batwoman. Which is the lesbian character, Batwoman? <laughs> but, <laughs> Somebody always has to quantify it with, oh, uh, by the way, she's a lesbian, you know. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You know, that's 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 kind of suck for that character. You know, if she if that was like a real person, you know, there's there's certain people that you know. I'm trying to think of like some famous person that you know. Every time their name gets brought up, they go, "Oh, by the way, oh, like Pee Wee Herman, you know, like uh, like Paul Rubens, or, you know, they'll they'll mention him in some news thing, you know, you know, Paul Rubens is going to be in some new movie. Oh, by the way, he got caught spanking off, you know, back in 19 whatever, and it's like, God damn, dude, let it go, you know. <laughs> that just cracks me up. Um, well, yeah, um, Greg Rucka is doing the Batwoman book. Um, that should be cool because Rucka is really good with the women. Uh, characters. He's he's known for doing them really well, especially uh, the question who's now uh, Montoya, which is, surprisingly works, especially with with him at the helm. Uh, he's also doing the Flamebird and Nightwing book, which I re- actually read, but I don't I don't think I'll be picking it up because just for the basis of it not having Superman. But it, it reads really it reads really well. And um, I'm out of the Batman books, I'm really probably just gonna pick up the Morrison and Greg Rucker stuff. That's pretty much all I'm gonna follow because the rest is, looks very ancillary and not really my thing. I'm definitely intrigued by it, you know, because I I'm not a big fan of the you know, let's let's replace the the big guy type of story. You know, we've seen that several times now. You know, we've seen it with uh, well, you know, probably most famously with uh you know, with Superman, with the reign of the Superman, we saw it to some degree, you know, way back in Batman, with you know where where he got his back broken and all that, mm-hmm. and then you know we saw it, you know, just a couple of years ago with with Captain America, 
And I, I'm just not a fan because, you know, it seems like these things always kind of come out of left field. You know, with Superman, it was four new Superman who we'd never seen before, we'd never heard of before. None of them really played, you know, I mean, you know, as, as interesting or uninteresting as the four characters could be, you know, they, they did pretty much just spring up out of nowhere and none of them really captured the feel of the of the original. And I know that, that Bucky Cap is popular with a lot of people, but he's not with me. I mean, that that's a character I didn't want to see die and be replaced to begin with. But then also, again, it, it feels very much like that whole thing just came out of left field. You know, not that Bucky's a new character, but him being undead all of a sudden... Yeah was really out of left field, so that felt kind of strange. But if they replaced Batman with uh, with Dick Grayson, that, I mean, that's not coming out of left field at all. That character's been there, you know, almost as long. I mean, Batman's only, you know, several months older than Robin, you know, in publishing history. So that character's been there right from the get-go in continuous publication right alongside Batman. So, I mean, it wouldn't seem all that no, no, long. No. I... I it almost feels like a natural progression that we almost expected one day Batman might, you know, hang it all up and, and pass it on to, to Robin or whatever. And it, it would feel, you know, I think people would be okay with it, you know, by and large. I mean, I'm sure there would be some diehards out there that would that would flip out about it. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. It'd be. I think it'd be interesting to see because, you know, they've joked many times now that it's getting to the point where eventually... You know, Dick Grayson is going to be older than than Bruce Wayne, and we're we're getting to that point. Yeah, it's very strange. He's probably in his forties. It's it's hard. Yeah, it's it's hard for him to continue to progress as a character when you know his his mentor doesn't. Yeah. You know, that's that's very oh, strange. Oh yeah, it's the same thing with Franklin Richards. Everyone grows up with him. <laughs> <laughs> Even the power pack. <laughs> oh, I know it's strange. It's it's strange, yeah. They've got a there's a number of characters like that that just kind of hang in limbo. Yet the the rest of the their respective universes, whether it's DC or Marvel or whatever, continue to to go on around yeah. them. It, it's weird. DC is kind of in a weird um, state right now. I don't really quite like it, but it does have a lot of promise if um, if they play their cards right. And they need to have actually more creators. Um, in their writing stable and artist stable, because not Marvel has. I feel that Marvel has like a lion's share of the talent uh, as of now. While DC is still relying on Johns and Morrison and uh, Rucka. I mean, they're great writers. Don't get me wrong. I, lo- I love their works, but uh, I think DC's talent pool should be expanded more than it is now. And I think Didio, I uh, I would actually hope for him to step down, have another editor-in-chief in this place and, and kind of set it straight, you know, put it on a, a better course of, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I do, absolutely. I mean, uh, they've got, uh, I don't know what else she does besides uh, Secret Six. They've got Gail oh, Simone. And I, I, yeah, I really like uh, Secret Six. That's an excellent book. I'm sure she does other stuff besides that, but I, I just don't know what it is. I need to check into some yeah, of that stuff. Wonder Woman, too. It's a big book. But, oh, okay. 
I've been meaning to, to check back into Wonder Woman. I haven't read any Wonder Woman since way back in the in the Perez stuff, and I love yeah, that. Yeah, I've to check that out. I've never been particularly a big fan of Wonder Woman, except for maybe some of the, the John Byrne stuff that we talked about before. But uh, I, I will check out the, the, the Perez stuff one day. I'll definitely check that out. And uh, I've heard Simone's Wonder Woman is very good. But uh, for some reason, I, I just for some reason, never been able to have a long-term... Uh, I've never been able to stick with the character for much longer than an arc or so. Well, I think that that you know, Wonder Woman is is one of those characters, you know, one of those uh, typical iconic characters that doesn't consistently, you know, yeah. wow you. You know what I mean? That it that it has the peaks and valleys. That that's the that's a frequent problem with all of the big tier, you know, the 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 top tier icons you know like your uh like your captain america your hulk um superman i guess although you know i've pretty much always stuck with him you know superman even batman in 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 his publishing history they've had you know severe ups and downs you know real peaks and valleys you know when they're when they're good they're really good but then when they you know when they suck or when they're mediocre some of the those periods can last a long time and you wonder you know how in the hell is this book still being published when it's now sucked for yeah. 10 years, you know? Wonder Woman's one of those books where it has had long periods where it just hasn't been worth a crap, and you wonder, you know, how, how does this book continue to come oh, out yeah. every month? But, uh, yeah, that Paris stuff back in the day, you know, back in the early 80s, or I mean the uh, uh, mid-80s, right after uh, Crisis, that's some good stuff. I mean, that was some of the best stuff coming out post-crisis. And that that's why I think, you know, to me that, you know, I, I keep going back to that era, but that really was, to me, that was the most exciting era in comics, or at least in, in DC comics, was the first, you know, several years right after Crisis on Infinite Earths, because everything was fresh, man. Everything got, you know, rebooted or soft rebooted or whatever, and, and even the ones that carried forward essentially the same continuity... They at least got a fresh coat of paint, you know. They they got, you know, it's like they got reinvigorated. And, uh, you know, I know that we've just had two crises. You know, we had Infinite Crisis not long ago, and then we just had Final Crisis. But I'm not feeling that same, that same invigoration. You know, I'm not seeing that no, same excitement. I, I I I can kind of put myself in maybe your shoes back then. You could, uh, definitely a lot of things. Uh, it seemed refreshed, like uh, the Flash. Wally West was the Flash. Uh, yep, Wonder Woman yep. was getting that that awesome press stuff. Uh, Superman was getting, you know, had the burn stuff going on. Um, what, what was Batman up to that, at that time? Batman was one of the few that didn't really immediately change. You know, it it, it the the continuity got a very soft reboot when um, Jason Todd's origin wow. was redone because uh, before Crisis, you know, Jason Todd was very very much a uh, uh, Dick Grayson clone. You know, he was raised mm. in the circus kind of thing. But then after the Crisis, um, he was reintroduced as like a real punk smartass. He tried to he hit, he had tried to boost the tires off the Batmobile and and got busted by Batman. And I, I think it was that it was that combination of people not really being all that mm. warm to him beforehand when he was just a clone of Dick Grayson, 
to suddenly now he was an outright unlikable character. You know, he was a punk and all that. I think that's what led to his demise, you know, with the, with the death in the family storyline and all that. But Batman didn't really get, you know, any sort of hard reboot to my recollection. It just kind of, kind of just went along the, the way it had al- always been going. And, uh, you know, but they did start get to, you know, more talent on the book and the, and the story started to ramp up a little bit as far as, you know, having a, a tighter continuity and more of a, it seemed like more of a direction, whereas before it was, you know, just oh, he'd have adventures, you know, they, you know, where they would go for a couple issues at most, but they were just pretty much one-off adventures, whereas now it, you know, well, I mean, all the books kind of did that. They kind of adopted a Marvel style where, you know, there were continuing storylines and mm-hmm. story threads and, you know, things that would, uh, that would for, you know, it had that sense of, uh, uh, shit, I'm not trying to think of the word, not foreboding, but, you oh, know, of, uh, yeah. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing things that would come a long way, you know, way down the road or whatever, which was something sort of new to, DC at that at that time, you know that was something that you know where where Marvel always had had the leg oh, up on them yeah. before. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so it's, it's funny. Um, DC seemed like really fresh at the time, and uh, but after these two crises, uh, I think they were done way too, uh, you know, qu- uh, fast with, within each other, and um, they didn't really uh, you know capitalize on any. Anything you know, uh, as far as rebooting um, continuity goes, they, they just kind of soft rebooted. You know, with, they were kind of taking things they don't like and throwing it out, and things that they liked, and actually adding it into their history. So, uh, yeah, those those two crises just didn't have that that same type of feel from what I imagine uh, what it felt at the time. Um, they kind of just did their own thing and sort of paved the way for the future, but not not quite as. The change wasn't quite as sweeping. I've given a lot of thought to that as far as, you know, I, I, I haven't read all of Final Crisis, so I, I can't speculate much on that. But I've given a lot of thought lately to Infinite Crisis. And I've really come to the conclusion that, you know, one of the things I think, one of the reasons why the, the new thing with Superman is bugging me so much and I know that a, an origin story is forthcoming. I know that that's something that, that Johns is working on. But I kind of think maybe what they should have done with Infinite Crisis, in, in retrospect, is maybe they should have just done an all-in-out reboot. You know, or at least with particular, at least with, say, Superman. Similar to what they did with, with Crisis on Infinite Earths. Now, they took a lot of flack for what they did. And, you know, Marv Wolfman, the original writer on Crisis, really wanted to out and out just reboot the whole damn DC universe. He wanted to start everything over with number one. And they didn't do it. And, you know, people have both praised and criticized DC for the decision to not to do it and, you know, for the decision, you know, had they done it. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. But with Infinite Crisis, I wonder if they should have either gone ahead and done it the way they should have done it way back, you know, according to to Marv Wolfman with Crisis and just done a complete reboot, or if they should have just gone ahead, since this was already supposed to be a sequel story to Crisis, done the exact same thing. 
soft reboot certain characters, full reboot certain other characters, and Superman in particular, since it looks like this is almost a return to pre-crisis continuity with all this Silver age stuff they're bringing back. I, I kind of, maybe I wouldn't feel so weird about it if we had had some closure on the, the, the post-crisis Superman to where it all, you know, we, we got an ending to his story. Infinite Crisis comes along. It's all rebooted again for a second time, and now there's a new Superman. I, I don't, at the time I might have pissed and moaned about it, but at least over time I would have, I would have gotten used to the idea that at least it's like yeah. when somebody dies, you know. As long as you have some closure there, you eventually you get on the road to, to, to healing and recovery. Whereas in this case, I was digging what was going along with, with Superman right up until the point of Infinite Crisis. Then Infinite Crisis happens, and instead of feeling right out of the gate like, wow, this is a whole new Superman, now I can get into a whole new incarnation... It was like a process of discovery over the last couple of years that, whoa, 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 wait a minute, this isn't the same character I've been reading. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that put me off, was that they didn't just come right out and say, this is a new Superman. You, you had yeah. to kind of figure it out. I John's is doing with the origin, that, that should have came first, and then whatever, you know, let the pieces right. lie where they may. Um, I think what's, what DC's afraid of is, you know, wiping away another past 20 years of continuity. Um, some of which is actually pretty cool, especially the like you like you mentioned the the Roger Stern stuff, uh, Roger Stern, um, yeah, and uh, and the uh-huh. stuff with the rain with the Superman and and stuff that w- was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I guess they're kind of afraid of erasing some of that, and um, they they kind of have want to have you know have their cake and eat it too, with, with a lot of stuff. Same similar to One More Day where they tried to have you know uh, have their cake and eat it too with Mary Jane, you know, not quite divorced, but. You know they're not married anymore. Which is the whole BS thing, which I <laughs> I won't do it. You would think that they would know by now, with with the kind of fans that that comicdom gets, and and the kind of anal anal retentiveness that most of us fans have, that that kind of thing is not a good idea because people will fret the details. You know they'll stress about these things. Well, you know they'll 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 find some story in Spider-Man history or whatever with with Peter and Mary Jane and they'll fret about how the hell does this story work today if they were never married and just simply taking a you know a, a don't worry about it or a well you know it's all magic kind of approach doesn't it just doesn't cut it with fans you know there are people that are going to stress about the shit I'm one of them, Me too. you know. Me too, man. I'm one of those people. And with Superman, it's even harder because there's so much stuff that happened in his continuity, and you can't just um, play loosey goosey with that stuff because there's there's a lot of important stuff that's happened since you know the reboot, and um, I just don't like that being picky and choosy with things. I mean, it, it could work, but they have to be really concrete with it, and uh, like and like you said, they have to be really right forthcoming and show everything that's happened. I, I will check out the origin series. That, that's going to be interesting to see how they um, finally explain uh, what, what's the deal with the, you know what's in continuity and stuff like that. So uh, that I'll, I will pick up. You know, right. I, I will see what happens there, and I'll, I'll be interested to hear your take on that one, Scott. Well, I'm definitely planning to check it out because I, I'm you know I'm still curious and everything. 
and maybe it will give me a, a jumping back on point for the whole thing. You know, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be something I enjoy, but I, I really do hope that the the approach that's taken with this is more of a of a fresh approach. I, I hope he doesn't do the patented Johns. Let's try to make everything that's come before fit in because. You know, the, the stuff with Candor and the Bottle City and the new Brainiac and all that stuff, as interesting as it may be or as awful as it may be, you know, take your pick, that shit doesn't, it, it can't match up to the Burn stuff. I don't care how good a, of a writer Johns is, it, do, it, do, it can't match up. That Krypton that Burn Superman came from was an entirely different type of of world than what we're being presented with, with this new Krypton stuff coming out of the, the John stories. And, you know, I don't want to see him trying to do all kinds of, you know, fancy gymnastics, you know, trying to figure out how it all matches up because he already did that with the Brainiac stuff. And I hated that story for that very reason. He was trying to, retroactively tie all of the different incarnations of Brainiac that we've seen since the Burn reboot into his current version, and it just, oh, it didn't work for me, you know. I, it worked very well for a lot of people, because I've heard a lot of praise about it, but I think a lot of those people are what I call the uninvested. They weren't people that have been there since the, the beginning and followed the character all the way through and, and saw just how kind of silly the whole yeah. thing came off. And so I hope he doesn't try to do that because it, it will ruin it for me. You know, if you're, it, it basically comes down to the shit or get off the pot mentality. You're either doing a reboot or you're not doing a damn reboot. Don't try yeah. to half-ass it because that stuff doesn't, it doesn't work and it's very transparent when, when they try yeah, to do Yeah, I mean, I, I like, like the Brain X story. I, I, I liked a lot of elements of it. it was, I thought it was pretty cool, but I do think he kind of went, uh, a little beyond uh, what he was, you know, what he should do, which is, uh, I, I can commend him for trying to integrate everything that's happened since then, but it, it's it's a little too much to take in, and uh, uh, I don't know if it quite works, because like you said, it, it's it's so much stuff to try to, ret, you know, retcon back in, and uh, it, it just probably won't jive with right. one thing or another, you know, with, with one of, the, like, a certain era. Um, but I mean, I give him props for doing it, though. I mean, it, it's it's ambitious, but you need to have good follow through, and um, you need to have a lot of people who cooperate with that type of vision that that he has for it. Um, also, it's funny that that Pa Kent died in that storyline. It's kind of like the movies in that regard. Yeah, I think that's definitely. It's it's very strange because it's like in every other version of Superman media that's out there, whether it's you know the the Legion TV show that was on TV you know just not long ago, or Superman the movie, or Superman Returns, or uh, Smallville, or any other Superman hey, in media, Pawkins dead. <laughs> yeah, and it's like they finally got around to bringing the comics in line with that. So I was actually pretty surprised to hear so many people were shocked by that because, you know, I won't say, you know, I, I'm not trying to sound big-headed and say, well, I saw that coming, but it, it didn't come as a surprise to me because I was kind of almost waiting for it to happen. You know what I mean? That It just seemed inevitable that eventually 
you know, they were going to go that route because every other Superman yeah. thing had already gone that's that route, you know? I don't know if that follows, but that that's just kind of what how I felt about it. When it happened, I was like, oh, okay, well, now they're in line with the movies rather than being <laughs> shocked, you know? <laughs> it was actually, it was funny enough, um, they actually telegraphed the whole death in, uh, uh, have you read uh, Brad Meltzer's JLA run? Uh, is that the... Yeah. That's the current one, right? Or the that was the start of the current one? Was yeah, I read bits and yeah, pieces. Yeah, well, I of mean, it. they came out with a, a zero issue or something of some kind, and they were showing yeah, yeah, they're showing right. scenes of, yeah. of possible futures or, or future storylines, and they showed um the whole death of Pa Kent. They showed uh, uh Clark in like uh, uh, some sort of a basement of some kind, you know, uh, getting his his stuff. I think some of his Kryptonian stuff. He was like he's really pissed or something, or he's really distant with everyone, and they showed like a whole uh kind of a sad funeral type of atmosphere. So that is interesting the way they telegraphed that early, uh, you know, as far back as that. I, I remember Byrne being on a, on a big kick back when, you know, he did his reboot about, you know, one of the reasons that he kept the Kents alive was that I guess it had always bothered him that, you know, Superman came to Earth, you know, as a baby, you know, or, you know, in, in Burns' case, with his reboot, he came to birth as a, or Earth, rather, as a, as a fetus and was actually born on Earth. But anyway, in, in the, in the Superman stuff that Byrne grew up with, it had always bothered him as a kid growing up reading about Superman and all. And here was a character that came to Earth, he was raised by the, this kindly couple, and he grows up, and rather than adopting, you know, their sensibilities and their values and everything, you know, as soon as he's out of the house and on his own and operating as Superman, you know, everything is great Krypton this and great Krypton that. Yeah. And, you know, everything's Kryptonian in his life and all of his values and everything he, you know, worships and cherishes and pisses and moans about. It's all Kryptonian, Kryptonian, Kryptonian. And it always felt to burn like kind of a spit in Pa Kent's eye that, you know, here was the guy that had busted his ass to raise this kid from an infant, yet he had almost kind of turned his back on the Kents to a certain degree. And I, I can see that. I can really identify with that interpretation. And so that's why it does kind of disturb me. That's another thing I find off-putting about the current things going on with Superman with all this Kryptonian stuff coming back is that up till now... You know, ever since Burns' version of the character, we had very much gotten a an Earthling Superman. You know, a Superman that, while he was Kryptonian by birth, he was very much you know a, a product of his upbringing. You know, he he felt like an Earth man. He had you know Middle America values. You know, he was very much right. the Kent's son, and now that's being stripped away again and being replaced by this you know. Uh, uh, pining for dead Krypton Superman, and I find that character yeah. very boring, yeah. you know? I mean, he, he he shouldn't identify with Krypton. He really yeah, never Yeah, the only way he there, kind of you know? was able to um, identify with that was with, was with his dad's uh, hollow projection thing. Like I think in the movies, pulled off so well. And, um... Right. Yeah, I mean, usually right. all his ties to Krypton it usually were in, in the fortress, and that's why he kind of made it the Fortress of Solitude. That's where he went to um, kind of connect with his Kryptonian origin. But outside of that, he, he's, he's, you know, he's a regular guy. He's a, 
is a regular, you know, Earth person <laughs> with superhuman powers. I always remembered the end of the Man of Steel miniseries. I, I think it might all be on the last page, maybe the last two or three pages, but I, I remember just the way that whole thing ended was where Jor-El's, whatever it was, hologram or whatever, came to him and basically imparted to Superman like all this knowledge of his world. You know, it's almost like a like a compressed data stream that he blasted into his head. Yeah, similar to of, the movie when he was uh, what's that? Uh, going towards Earth in that pod, right? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Very similar to that. And at the end of it, he has a thought that was something along the lines of, it was a nice sentiment, but ultimately it was meaningless because, you know, these are, you know, I can sing the the songs of this lost world and I can appreciate the art and all that, but ultimately it, it's all dead to me. You know, I'm an Earthman for all intents and purposes. And it was basically, Byrne was affirming the fact that, that this character was, you know, he was the ultimate immigrant. You know, he had come here, he was shaking off the old world and he was embracing America and American values and being an American citizen, and, and more than that, in this case, he was embracing being an, an Earth yeah. man, you know, an Earth citizen. But, you know, I think it was Burns' very conscious, you know, really putting it out there to the fans that this isn't the old-fashioned, great Krypton, you know, Superman, that this wasn't the one that was going to go sit and brood in his fortress and constantly try to figure out ways of, you know, what you know, what Krypton would be like today, or, you know, how could he go back and say, you know, stuff like that. There were so many of the old Silver Agey stories that were just Superman kind of, you know, just mooning over Krypton all the time, you know, and wanting to go back yeah. and, and, you know, he, he had almost like a, like a morbid fascination with, with his dead parents in, in this dead planet and dead culture and he very consciously wanted to move away from all that. Now it seems like we're moving right back towards it again. And, I, you know, I, I, for one, I'm just not, I'm not interested in that. And I'm not really comfortable with that. It seems like kind of a, a, a slap in the face to where the character had really progressed over the last 20-some years. You know, he, he'd moved away from all that. And I think he was a lot richer and more interesting character because of it. You know, I, I find it very hard to believe that, uh, you know, somebody like a, a, a Brian Deemer or somebody like that, that would look at those aspects of the character and find that interesting somehow. You know, your, your average modern day comic book reader would, would look at all this Krypton stuff and think, wow, that's really interesting because it's not. It's actually pretty boring. I grew up on that shit. That's you know? interesting. That's a very good point. I would actually agree with that. I would. I think he should be embracing more of the Earth stuff than the Krypton stuff. Uh, what they're doing now is uh, it's an interesting idea, It's but it's kind of weird because we see Krypton again, whereas yeah, it's more of a past thing than 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 should be in the present. It just feels very very weird to see Superman, you know, who was the lone survivor of Krypton, now with like a couple thousand Kryptonian people. So now he's not as unique as he was before either. 
So that, that's another point that's that's kind of lost with the um, the whole crypt, new Krypton stuff. It is an interesting idea, like I said, but it's just I don't know if it quite works um, overall for the character. But uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, we'll, we'll see what what gets comes out of the whole recent uh, storyline with that. Uh, so Robinson's doing with uh, a couple of the writers and uh, Pete Woods. Uh, what is it called? The World of Krypton. Yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll check out the trade at least. I'll see. I'll be interested to see like the Kryptonian Kryptonian stuff. Uh, so you know, the laws and stuff, and and seeing Zod back and kind of in control of Superman's. <laughs> We'll see where that goes, but uh, yeah, I'm not, I wasn't too thrilled with that either. I, I, I would prefer a Superman that embraces his uh, his current uh, uh, like world than the Krypton stuff. Yeah, I was I was always happiest when you know when he was restored to a point of being the sole survivor. I think that that's a, a role that fits him best. Although I I would make an exception for. Um, Phantom Zone villains. That was one of the things that was lost post-crisis, and that was something I always kind of lamented was, yes, I I appreciated the fact that he was restored to being, you know, the last Kryptonian. He was the sole survivor of an entire planet. That's a very cool and very unique role, but the Phantom Zone villains, even if it's just three of them, even if you just keep, you know, like, like Zod and, you know... They, you know, eventually they went with Ursa and Nan from the movies, but originally it was uh, Feora and whatever the other dude's name was, I forget. Um, you know, even if you went with just those, you know, those three or four different uh, Phantom Zoners, that was always a cool story because you always had those guys there as a, as a threat. You know, here were three or four people that were just as powerful as him, but they were, you know, totally evil. Because, uh, man, I'm telling you, one of, one of my favorite, to this very day, one of my favorite Superman stories is that uh, that four-issue Phantom Zone miniseries by um, Steve Gerber and, oh. uh, and Gene Colan. Man, that, that that's out. fantastic, man. That, yeah, that's a, that's a great read. Really good read. Especially if, if you like Gene art. Colan. Because a lot, you know... He, oh, do you? Okay, I was going to say that he's hit and miss for a lot of people. A lot of people, you know... Most people either really, really dig him, or they really, really like. Nah, this just isn't for me. But that's yeah. fantastic stuff, and it's hard. It's even today that's hard to believe that that was written in the year that it was because, you know, Superman at that time was very much, you know, into that late Silver Age. You know, still very much written for kids. It wasn't at all edgy or dark or anything. But that wow. story's dark, man. The uh, the Phantom Zoners get out, and they just they're determined to just. You know, can't, you know, maim, kill, and destroy. You know, and that's pretty much it. You know, they get out, and it's like, you know, there's no, hey, we're out of the Phantom Zone. Let's grab a burger. It's like, no, we're out of the Phantom Zone. Let's just fucking trash everything. You know, right. and that's pretty much what goes on. And what's cool is they they pull a fast one to where they all get out, oh. and Superman gets trapped in. So not only are you know, do you have all these uh, villain, you know, these super powered Kryptonian villains loose on Earth. Oh, but there's awesome. nobody that can stop them. You know, it's it's like the Justice League are it, and you know they're they're nothing compared to you know a team of evil Superman. Basically, it's it's just a fantastic. Yeah, Gene, really Gene is stuff. always a kind of Gene yeah. Cole, and he's always uh, it always depends on the anchor who inks him. Usually, that that's kind of the, the what that kind of makes or breaks his art. 
I can't remember off the top of my head who inks him on that. I'm going to have to check into that and figure out. I uh, honestly don't remember. But, but yeah, if you if you have the opportunity to track that down, I highly recommend it. Because one of these days, we're going to get around to doing like a full review of that series on on two true freaks and uh and i'd love to have oh. you come on and and you know as, as someone reading it you know with fresh eyes for the first time i'd really like to get you know your your take on that and see what you think <laughs> you know good good or bad i'd like to hear it because that that's that's a cherished uh, series of mine yeah i'm looking at the covers right now but they you know this was back in the day before they gave uh Credits. One of the one of the covers is credited with uh, uh, with Big Jordan. Uh, Jordan on Dick Jordan on the inks. He's a fantastic inker, but I don't know that he did the inks on the entire series. I just have to dig it out and look at it again to see if he did the interiors as well. But oh yeah, fantastic inker. But that that's just a great story. I mean, Steve Gerber. You know, a lot of people I think dismiss him sometimes as strictly the you know Howard he was the, the funny guy that wrote you know Howard the Duck and all these stories but this was a total departure for for steve gerber it was really dark and uh and really really rich in superman history which is one of the cool things about it i mean the guy did his homework he knew superman lore because he pulled up characters that you know hadn't been seen in like 30 years and stuff for for this and really went deep into the whole mythos yeah, it's that interesting cool he, he and uh keith giffen are kind of uh, putting that little uh, stigma that they're kind of just the funny guys, the bwahaha guys, you know, because like, like you said with the Howard the Duck and Ke- Keith with the Justice League International. But they, yeah, but they put out really cool like dark uh-huh. stuff. Like Keith just uh, put out Annihilation like a couple years back. That was a great uh, cosmic series. And Steve also did the, the Doctor uh, Doctor uh, Fate uh, book, which yes. uh, which is very fun. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, unfortunately, because of his demise, I mean his his his, fortune, his unfortunate passing, uh, he couldn't finish it. We had a, a host of creators kind of finishing it, finishing it for him. But uh, yeah, he's surprisingly diverse. Uh, I like writers like that who can handle different things. And uh, as regards to the the whole Krypton thing, I mean the um, the three Kryptonian people versus Superman. That's always an interesting story because uh, instead of relying on his powers, he relies on his wits and his and his smarts. Yeah, and and the Superman two movie right. was was a cool movie because of that because you see all that stuff from the comics uh, kind of play out in the movie, and you see him uses uh, he's using like wacky stuff though. But cool. um, yeah, I, uh, those type of storylines are always cool, They're always fun, and I'm I'm definitely gonna look uh, for that storyline uh, that you mentioned with uh, Steve and uh, and uh, Gene. So if it's if it's collected, yeah. I've- I think you'd I think you'd like it. I don't know that it's ever been collected, but I would imagine that the the back issues on that are not terribly. Uh, they might be a little bit tough to to come across, but I wouldn't expect that they would go for any I'll, great I'll prices. I could be wrong though. I don't I don't keep up so much on the values on the prices anymore like I used nah, to. I'm gotcha. not so concerned with that anymore. But if it hasn't ever been collected, that's just a crime because it really ought to be. That was one of the the great Superman stories to to come out of the. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, just send the, me the, the issue 80s. numbers and I'll I'll, uh, I'll track them down. Just a, it was a four issue mini. It was called uh, the Phantom Zone. That was just. I, I what it was is it was. It was really it was an attempt to cash in on Superman two. Oh, you know okay. the movie of Superman two when it came out. But what was cool was that it didn't. 
you know, it, it just used the premise of the Phantom Zone villains getting loose on Earth, which was basically the story of Superman 2, but it didn't use, you know, the, the ones in the movie were made up, you know, other than General Zod, you know, Ursa and Nan were made up for the movies, you know, they weren't characters from the comics. This miniseries used strictly Phantom Zone villains that had been established in the comics some of which hadn't been seen oh, wow. in the comics in you know decades because they were brought in in like some one you know one off story somewhere in like Superboy or something like that. So in this story, literally anybody who was in the Phantom Zone got out, and so, you know, like I say, some of the characters had not been seen. You know, they might have only ever had one appearance before, and so you know, Gerber really did his homework in this series, and it was just fantastic. It was really uh, just a really good read, and you know, a lot of sinister stuff happened, and it, it was. That, that was, was good, uh, Mon Monel in that storyline as well. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, that was cool because that was at a time where uh, he had been sentenced to the zone as a kid, you know, by by Superboy, and had to stay there because oh, you know, he was going to die if he got out. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, so that that was an interesting part of that's the story. They're as doing well. kind of that same thing right now. He just got out. Yeah, that's one of the things where I, where I'm saying, you know, there there's enough going on with the current stuff that I could get sucked back in, depending on which way you know mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm. pendulum ends up swinging. You know what I mean? Because there are aspects that I like, and that's one of them. Is Monel was always one of my favorite characters. You know, I liked him. You know, when he was, you know, introduced and then he was in the zone and all that, but I really liked him when eventually he got freed in Legion of Superheroes because that made him an interesting character, you know, because he was basically, he was Superboy's placeholder in the Legion. You know, he had the same powers, the same general origin, and he also, you know, even though he didn't necessarily live and interact with you know, say like Batman and Robin in the Justice League, he did live through all those times because he witnessed oh, yeah, them from yeah. inside the Phantom Zone. You know, so that ca- kind of gave him that connection to the to you know the, the 20th century. But what what really was cool for me was later on. It, it took a a number of years before they started to play with it, but some writer somewhere along the line, I can't remember who it was. I wish I could give the the proper credit and I can't think of who it was but somebody got came up with the idea of what kind of psychological oh, yeah. shit would that do to you to be stuck in that zone for wow. a thousand years you know and eventually somebody picked that ball up and ran with it and turned it into a thing where Monel was fucked up man I mean it, it had done shit to his head <laughs> to be stuck in there and watch you know not only his friends and the people he knew, like Superman and Superman's family and all that, and Superman's friends, but then just a thousand years of history rising and falling all around him, and he can't do shit but watch mm. and and be forgotten. You know, it really had played with his mind. And I remember there was a story where something happened, and the Legion oh. were going to have to put him back in. And he went apeshit. You know, he was just like, you know, nuts because there was no way in hell he was going to go back. You know, after you know having yeah, spent the, all that exile in the zone, and it was, it was, yeah, it was fantastic, man. So he was, I, he was to me always one of the more uh, interesting and, and 
somewhat well-rounded, somewhat conflicted characters. You know, he he had his personality hang-ups at a time when not a lot of the characters had personality hang-ups in DC. Yeah, he's a Daxamite, right? I thought that was cool. So it'll be interesting. Um, if, oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you've, uh, you've read the recent uh, Green Lantern stuff. Uh, you know of Saddam Yacht, right? It'll be interesting to see him uh, maybe yeah. interact, maybe, now that he's, um, now that Monel's around again. Because yeah, that may be a... Uh, I would love It's that. interesting, like, kind of really Superman-ish, like Green Lantern-ish, Green Lantern-ish uh, <laughs> team up, maybe. That'd be pretty cool. I'm trying to remember, who was it at the end of... Uh, there was somebody that went and hunted Saddam Yacht up on Oa in... Uh, Legion of Three Worlds, and I'm trying to remember who that know, was. That Monel, because sure. I remember Yacht saying something to the effect of, you know, are you trying here trying to appeal to me as a fellow Daxamite or something to that effect? And yeah, I'm trying to, to remember was picture. that Mon? God damn, I can't yeah. remember. I've got so I'm much gonna have to look through that again and remember because the the big thing I took away from the very last issue that I read was at the end of it. And this is a big spoiler for anybody who hasn't read it, so, you know, fast forward past this part. But uh, the part where at at the very end it looks like Bart Allen comes back. And I was, up till now, I had so been digging that book. And then I read that and I was like, (laughs) no! I hate that character so much. (laughs) Oh, no, I can't stand the little bastard. I was like, no, don't bring him back. He's dead. Leave him dead. I mean, I can live with it because I mean, he doesn't affect yeah. my, uh, you know, my universe anyway. Because I'm not much of a Flash person one way. I mean, if he, if they bring him back, it's not gonna like, you know, freak me out one way or the other. But I was just like, Ugh, you know, I mean, I was just as happy to see him go away because it's just a character that I'm never. I'm glad he's back because they they killed him off in the really, uh, like messed up way. It was yeah. it's pretty bad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he was kind of just dismissed, which. That, I hate to see that happen. You know, even even if it's a character I don't particularly relate to, or that you know doesn't you know have a whole lot of mm-hmm. you know importance or whatever. I hate when they do that just dismissively because you know any character out there is potentially yeah. a, a favorite for somebody. I remember when they did that in uh, in Infinite Crisis, they killed off. Um, Neptune Perkins in like a it was like a very offhand way it was like in the back of a panel or something like that you just see uh. him just get bit in half or something and I was like now I realize that <laughs> yeah. most people are like who but you know I remember that character and you know I mean he wasn't like my favorite character or anything but I just I remembered him I thought he was a cool character back in uh, in Young All Stars he was one of the the you know the the characters in that and to see him just kind of you know, chomped and forgotten was like, well, that sucks. You know, I mean, that that's a pretty shit way to uh, to write off a character that you know, at one time it helped you know maintain a book of his own or you know a, a team book of his own. So that 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 sucks when they just are very dismissive of characters. Yeah, like while, that. while you were talking about him, I was just <laughs> looking him up on Google Images. <laughs> As I had no idea who he was either. Ah, okay, <laughs> I see him now. He has like a. Like a yellow oval uh, um, icon in his chest, and he's like red, like yeah, 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 yeah. He almost looked like a 
like a like an oh. Indian, like an Indian for the water or something. You know, he had like the long black hair and all that. You know, he he had a very yeah. He was a very strange. He was like an almost like a like a uh, like oh, an I American see. Indian Aquaman sort of thing. And uh, but I thought I, I thought he was kind of an interesting character. He had an interesting origin and stuff like that. So. Yeah, you know, like I say, definitely uh, you know one of your one of your Z list characters, but uh, still, you know, at one time he he bent somebody's baby. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, they do that in Marvel a lot. So the Marvel is also guilty of that. So yeah. Oh yeah, right. big time. That looks like uh, wow, man. We've done a lot of DC talk now. I guess we could name it the DC uh, archive episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get a lot of. We just, I like. I see how those. That's that's the kind of talk I like. You just start somewhere and just ramble, and the next thing you know, hey, you. I don't get to talk much about DC much. That's true. That's true. All that Marvel <laughs> talk, it just rots your brain, man. Oh yeah. You got to talk. You got to talk about the good stuff once in a while, yeah. just to kind of kind of recharge, <laughs> you know. Well, we got to do this again, man. We gotta we gotta make oh, this definitely. like a regular a regular get together. Of that. Um, after that, we probably do maybe Dark Horse because I want to. I'm um, talk about the the once you get caught up with the the Star Wars Legacy stuff. I, I, yeah, I definitely want to talk about that with you because that's oh um, yeah, good stuff, good good stuff. I intend to get into all that stuff eventually. I'm I'm working my way right now through uh, like the Clone Wars books that are coming out and stuff like that. And I want to read uh, Star Wars Empire, and that led into what is it, Star Wars Rebellion. But I'm I'm curious. I I don't know that I'll be able to. To get up to current day on the on the um, legacy stuff, but I, I at least want to get my feet wet. I want to check it, check it out and see whether I dig it or not because I, I have I have preconceptions, so I, I'm curious whether it'll whether it'll you know meet them in a good way or meet them in a bad way. Yeah, but I'm, I'm at well, least curious to check it out. You, Chris, so uh, very curious. <laughs> You have to make some time to sit down and yeah, check and, that out and get into that. And, and yeah, and it respects the, the cool. movies to to a great degree, and also tries to you know to use past continuity of the Star Wars comics. So, I, I, I think I have a good feeling that you guys will like it, though. I, I probably would. There's there's very little in Star Wars that that I ever walk away yeah. from you know not liking or whatever. And I'm I'm really desperate to try to get back into the books. I just had a really good uh, buy the other day. I bought like. It's like nice. nine or ten of the books, dirt cheap. So now I'm really anxious to find some time to sit down and really nice, start nice. getting into the books. Yeah, some of the later stuff coming out, you know, where it's like the sons of like, you know, Han and Leia and, and Luke and his wife and all that. That's the kind of stuff I'm really anxious to get to. Is you know where where those legacies oh, yeah. are going and all that. So. <laughs> but at the moment, I'm still stuck way back in the 70s. In between you know between episode <laughs> one and episode three, so I'm way back still. You know. Trying to read all this shit in order and then keep up with my comics and all this other. Oh man, I'm telling you, it is. It's a lot, but you know, I'm not complaining. It's yeah, you know, I, I never lack for something to oh, read. Definitely so. Special thanks to Mr. Will Sanchez for his time and dedication to the podcasting community. You can catch his show, The Avengers Assemble Podcast, at AvengersAssemblePodcast.libsyn.com. It's a fantastic show, well worth your time. This is it for this edition of Two True Freaks. I have been Scott Gardner, and in a few minutes, I'll be Aquaman. Good night, and stay off my goddamn lawn. Come to me, and the world 
will be ours tonight Make me yours Come and hold me tight I must have you Come closer Love me now And I'll give all I've got to give Make it soon so that I can live And love and dream for two I'm here and I'll stay here For at least forevermore Oh darling, can't you see I want you loving me I need you Come to me And we'll walk in the sun each day Summer will be a kiss away Just wait And see Oh, what a moment that will be When you come to me Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the 2TrueFreaks podcast. Ah, chérie. <laughs> Come to me And away Away be ours tonight Make me yours Come and hold me tight I must Have you <laughs>
Future Freaks has been brought to you today by DiManzo Core of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.